and welcome to another episode of the Online Warriors podcast. My name is Nerd Bomber, and I am joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Tactic and Illegal, who will now take it away. Okay, today on the podcast, we have Lucas Egan joining us for an interview. Lucas is a digital content producer at the Las Vegas Review Journal, where he writes gaming editorials and co-hosts the Land Parties podcast. Looking forward to talking to you about that, Lucas. Interviewing some of the biggest names in gaming. So first of all, Lucas, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got your start in journalism, just kind of general background? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on the show. I'm excited and I'm honored to be on, so I appreciate that. So journalism for me started, oh man, a long time ago. I think I was always like destined to be a journalist. I was I was the kid that was writing fake newspapers and doing fake newscasts for my family, which I know they loved all the time. They had to have, right? <laughs> right. Uh, How could they not? Right? I think my official start in journalism, though, started in middle school. I was living in Wisconsin at the time, and I started writing music and movie reviews for the Green Bay Press Gazette because they would reimburse you for the CD or the movie ticket. So, to be perfectly honest with you, I got into journalism to get free music and free movies. <laughs> hey, that sounds like a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah, that, that's as good a reason as any. <laughs> right? As a middle schooler without a job, that was like, the perfect situation and so I started to really kind of fall in love with it I thought it was really fun so I think I was always wanting to get into the entertainment or sports areas because I love those but I knew I could never be like an actor or an athlete or anything like that so this was a way to keep close to it you know did the student newspaper in high school went to college in Reno did the newspaper out there and then my first job in 2012 now oh my goodness it's been a while I was in the small town called Ely Nevada a really tiny town just a couple thousand people a weekly newspaper I was basically all by myself in the newsroom and then went to Oregon and then out to Las Vegas wow so you've moved around quite a bit yeah, I've been been around to a few places. <laughs> but that's really cool. I mean, I for, first of all, I feel like we should give props to the to the Gazette that gave you your start. What a cool program! Yeah, you know it. It was a great program. They specifically wanted teenagers to do it, and I think as a way to get them interested. And uh, I don't. I'm sure this was not their intention, but boy, I took advantage of that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, like you said, what better way to really just? I mean, let's just say, call it what it is: bribe a, a child. <laughs> say we will pay for a cd for you if you will write something for us but it's very cool it's very cool so that's uh that's awesome and now you're out in vegas as as we as we went through yeah very exciting stuff yeah and in the last year or so i mean you've been a pretty busy guy you kickstarted the land parties podcast and kind of established a greater gaming presence over at the las vegas review journal what kind of inspired you to make that jump and pivot into the games journalism sphere once you got to the las vegas review journal you know I had wanted to get into games journalism for a little bit. It's something that didn't really sink in until the last couple of years. But, you know, being a fan of the Game Informers and IGNs and Kotaku's of the world, like that was always in the back of my mind. But to be honest, it was when Launcher for the Washington Post got going that it really kind of started to set in and been like, oh, hey, more traditional news outlets are starting to pay attention to this. Maybe there's a way for me to kind of sneak into this. And it wasn't planned. Like, my boss was talking to me about something else. And for better or for worse, I kind of get into rant mode about stuff I'm passionate about. And so 
I got going, and one thing led to another, and then I brought up video games, and I brought up how I thought we should do a podcast, and before I knew it, I was trying to sell them on this gaming podcast, <laughs> which was not the subject of our meeting originally, so, oh well. Uh, <laughs> but then I didn't hear anything for a couple months, and it wasn't until my co-host Ryan Smith got hired that my boss just one day was walking by with Ryan, and he stopped at my desk and he said, I think you two would be good together. Why don't you start working on launching that podcast? And wow. so it kind of came out of the blue after that. And then it was figuring out all the details, finding out and figuring out our name and figuring out when we were going to launch. And the stories kind of came about how it was just a way to, to make it more enticing to get guests on our show to say, hey, not only will you be on our podcast, I'll write a story for you on our website. And... I kind of just kept doing it just as a way to increase our presence. Like, I had asked them early on if I could write stories, and they said yes, and I just never asked them again. I was like, I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> so, right. kind of backdoored my way into it, to be honest. So, with that, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced trying to pave the way for gaming coverage at a more traditional news outlet? I think one of the biggest things is getting people to take you seriously. Because gaming journalism had traditionally been at those gaming-centered focused places. Uh, I think sometimes they view newspapers as, oh, well, you must not really be gamers. Like, you're just trying to reach a different crowd, but you won't really know what you're talking about. And so that took a little bit of trouble to get over. And then it was just getting access. You know, I think one of the, the most frustrating parts about this industry is that they like to keep everything so close to the vest, and sometimes it's hard to get people to open up. And as a storyteller, that is probably the most frustrating thing to run into. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's great to see, obviously, that hopefully it, it's a trend that will continue that more traditional outlets will start covering games, if only because of the amount of money in it. <laughs> I mean, we, we're seeing things like esports coming up and, and these these very lucrative and, and very narratively involved games. I mean, games are turning into this industry that and we've talked about this with other guests and on our on our general show before, you know, it's just turning into this this huge thing. It's like the movie industry. And God knows the movie industry gets covered by traditional media outlets all the time. So Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I think what would be what is great is you're seeing journalists who are gamers rather than gamers trying to be journalists. And I think right. that that's an important distinction that needs to be made to kind of help tell those stories that need to be told throughout the industry. Right. So so let's let's get into you know some fun like surreal moments, I guess. Obviously you've gotten to interview a lot of people, speak with a lot of industry greats since the inception of Land Parties, which by the way, I love the name. We'll get to the name a little bit later. Most surreal moment in your career thus far? Okay, well, oh my goodness. I would say that Nolan North was right up there because I had been trying to book him for almost six months. (laughs) And up until that point, we hadn't had much success with getting bigger guests. And so, (laughs) like, this was like my mission. I was like, we're going to get him (laughs) one way or the other. And when it wasn't happening, I kind of was like, well, maybe we won't get him. And it wasn't his agent. It was him that emailed me and said, I'm free this day, which was like a couple days before. And I was just like, oh my goodness. And I like texted Ryan. I was like, we got to change our recording plan this week. Move move (laughs) mountains, essentially. Yeah. (laughs) And that was like a moment of, I mean, I love the Uncharted games. 
love watching retro replay and all that so like that was a moment of like professional me and like fan me like arguing with each other and how right 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 <laughs> how much of that excitement to show and and how much nerding out i, I am allowed to do and trying <laughs> to remember i'm supposed to be a professional but like that moment was also like like a sea change moment for us because that really felt like opened the door for us getting to getting some other guests oh certainly I, I, yeah i mean my jealousy uncharted is like top five franchises for me so my jealousy is pretty boundless i would have i'm not a professional journalist obviously i would have gushed it would have been, it would have <laughs> been embarrassing been for everybody <laughs> yeah it would have been embarrassing for everybody involved <laughs> you know we interviewed greg edmondson the guy who wrote the scores for uncharted that was bad enough i had a hard <laughs> enough time holding it together then i can't even imagine nolan north so that's amazing obviously so super cool to kind of follow that up if you could land any interview on your show who would be your dream interviewee okay i'm gonna name two because one is super unrealistic i'm sure keanu reeves would be amazing oh that would be uh god i i mean man (laughs) he's been like my favorite actor since i was a kid so everybody who now thinks can't keanu reeves is cool you're way late to the party (laughs) you guys just didn't know (laughs) so he would be like my top top guest however more gaming focused troy baker let's do it let's get you on the show come on (laughs) right huge last of us fan as well by the way so i mean i'm just kind of a huge naughty dog fan troy baker in that game obviously was unbelievable i think keanu would do it man like i keanu keanu has his reputation right where he's a nice guy he's a normal guy he's like he's like on, sitting on a park bench by himself a lot of the time he just seems like he needs something to do just i think him you, up. you would just have to catch him like walking through new york or something i don't think you could do it as a reaching out type thing I think right B- bump into him on the street okay oh hey while i have you <laughs> okay so so here's my warning to keanu i'm not stalking you i promise if i run into you purely chance <laughs> right but if i do i will ask you to be on this podcast <laughs> yeah yeah keanu would be great i mean yeah but like you said you know i think people's vision of keanu now is certainly different that like i think a lot of people need to go watch speed right like that's mm-hmm. probably i mean i don't know what your favorite keanu movie is i think a lot of people know keanu as the john wick keanu which is a great yep. keanu Pro but, tip, tell him you need a goalie for hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Serious. Okay. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there was speed. There was, I mean, of course, the Matrix. Keanu, man, he's he's done it. He's truly done it. He's put together quite a career. Right? Like, how rare is it for somebody to be an action star in the 90s and now entering the 2020s? Right. And still I'm still, I'm convinced he doesn't age. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's a fact. He just, yeah. he's immortal. <laughs> So you were also recently named as part of the inaugural 2020 future class during the Game Awards. What was your first reaction when you found out that you were chosen for that? Because I feel like that's got to be such an incredible moment as a journalist, especially in the game sphere. Oh, my goodness. Like, total shock. Just total shock. Like, I so (laughs) my work email gets a ton of emails. I almost like just passed over that email, to be perfectly honest with you, because I was not (laughs) thinking about that at all. And just amazing. I mean, I felt... I felt sheepish to be on that list of, of so many incredible people. Lots of excitement. It's incredibly humbling to, to think that this really had just gotten going that year and, and that people, thankfully, are, are seeing some value in it. Like That is the, the best part about that to me, is that people find what we're doing is worthwhile and they're, they're not just like, eh, right. eh, it's there. It, ha- it has to be so validating 
knowing that this thing you've created is garnering interest and garnering this, you know, future class consideration. Super cool. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And and to be honest, there was a lot of relief too, because, you know, just going back to the more traditional news outlets, you know, you, you always get some of those people that maybe aren't understanding this industry and don't fully see the worth in doing that. So to, to, to have that really was... Right like you said, extremely validating and a great way to just take a breath and go, all right, what we're doing is working and thank goodness. So I can, you know, then show my bosses, Hey, you know, that bet that you guys took on me is somewhat worth it. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Ammunition to fight, fight the naysayers should you need to, right? Exactly. It's certainly cool. So, So let's, let's talk about land parties. Let's talk about the name. Now, Tactic and I just before were talking about the real life land parties that we have had. This name, is this inspired by personal experience with land parties? And if so, like favorite land party memories? You know, are you were you or are you a big land party guy? Yeah, I it was. It was inspired by that. Um funny thing is that was not our first choice. That was uh we had a list of a bunch of names and I don't know. Fate brought land parties up that list, thankfully. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> it it was a really weird process trying to figure out a name. Like, I had our list, and I was just staring at it, and I would randomly cross some off, and I would randomly add some in. <laughs> so, I don't know how you guys got your name, but ours was not very graceful. It was like, eh, I this actually is don't it. even... Like, I don't remember how we got ours at all. I God. feel like we were just, like, sitting around planning yeah. our first episode, and we're like, you know what? Sounds cool online warriors i thought it was based on what can give us a cool logo but i can't remember yeah i it's again it's not that long ago it feels like it's so long ago it's not that long ago but i don't remember that at all i'm sure i was involved but Uh i don't remember it but 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 land parties are we talking you know because my land party experience has been halo halo is the land party game oh yes you know so is that your experience as well i guess it it is, because, you know, going back to the original Xbox, that was my first home console that I ever got. So Halo, Halo 2, yeah, too many, entirely too many hours spent playing that with friends, but so worth it. Absolutely no such thing as too many, <laughs> uh, in, in my opinion. I was a Halo 2 guy for sure. That was all my best LAN party memories were Halo 2 based. And Tectic, I think you said the same. Yeah, I was I Halo remember. as well. I had the whole backpack set up ready to go all the time oh man you were ready the one thing that kind of makes me sad is that kids now growing up i mean everything is online and you you don't have to worry about like hauling your console to someone's house and they're gonna miss that entire experience of just like staying up all night trying to get everything configured and set up and then just playing for hours see i mean you could i do want to challenge that a little bit because with land parties sleepovers are were kind of related to them very very closely and with today's gaming all of it's you can only do really online multiplayer there's not a lot of split screen multiplayer so i was to gonna have say, the sleepover very tied to this. you're kind of forced now to have land parties in my opinion if you think about it uh, i i think i'm with nerd bomber here we, we, we can of course get lucas's opinion but i i think that the death of split screen also is kind of a harbinger for the death of land parties unfortunately because th- these communal experiences experiences that's true but to, each to person me, would need their own system because exactly yeah. to me the communal there it's communal experience that can't be traded in it's not doesn't translate to, to directly online i don't know lucas i don't know if you've talked about this i don't know if you've gone this this deep a dive into your title <laughs> on the show but 
you know, this is stuff that we think about, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you guys. Like, the the, the kids these days, they won't know what it's like <laughs> back in the old days. Ah, <laughs> kids these days. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's funny, because, like, even a game like a super smash like i i i love super smash but yeah. i still will only usually play with friends like at somebody's house like i just feel like you lose something oh yeah i couldn't lot. agree more with that game could not agree more well it's it's unfortunately it might be our generations you know how like you were growing up and like your parents were like oh we had this game called pog and you were like <laughs> shut up dad that that's whatever <laughs> we're gonna be dad or mom, you know, it's it's, it's a terrifying thought. And we're, the kids are going to be like, what's split screen? We're going to be like, oh, let me tell you. Sleepover. Yeah, it's Halo. it's a scary thought to think we're we're becoming our parents and we're like, what is this new technology? What are you guys talking about? You're <laughs> missing the good stuff. Right. All right, we're getting too, de- too depressing. Uh, no bummer. <laughs> next, next question. <laughs> so, I mean, outside of Halo and like the LAN party experience, what kind of games really fostered and inspired your love of gaming? Because I feel like we all have that one game or two that we played as a kid that was like, this is it. This is what locked me in as a gamer for life kind of deal. Yeah. So my first game system of any kind was a Game Boy Color and oh, yeah. <laughs> Pokemon Special Pikachu Edition. Uh, I was in like the middle of Pokemon fever. Like I was watching the the show, I was collecting the cards and I started playing the games. Like they like I was their dream customer there. <laughs> but that game was so just amazing to me. I mean, it was you went on this grand adventure, you were catching all these Pokemon, but then you could trade and battle with friends, and you had to use those link cables that like never worked, but, <laughs> but you could right. try. And so like it gave you something to talk about with friends. So like I didn't obviously realize it at the time because I was so young, but that was like immediately a look into like how social and how powerful games can be to bringing in a group of people and having those kind of water cooler moments. Uh, so that that really was was it for me. It was almost a status symbol back in the day. I remember on a field trip, we, we were all Pokemon battling, and this one kid lied and told everyone that he beat me in a Pokemon battle to prove that he is the best. When it was, it was what? wasn't even true, guys. It wasn't even true. <laughs> I beat him. It's, but it, it was this, you know this societal construct i mean going even beyond the games going to the cards the show everything you mentioned but the games were i think the crown jewel especially in terms of probably the money that they made although i don't i'm sure the trading cards were that was quite a financial boondoggle as well but it was this crazy zeitgeist that admittedly i was not a part of but my brothers were and like i i I saw it firsthand and it was this insane like I, I think there's so many people that we could ask this question to today about, you know, formative games. And so many people would say Pokemon. And and it's generational, too. There's kids now that are still playing these Pokemon games. We're still playing about. these Pokemon games. Well, yes. right, no, right. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying at an introductory level, that's still what I think a lot of kids are. And granted, they don't have the show anymore. But like... Oh, but they, they do. They can still get the cards. Is the, is the show back? I, I don't know. It, it's been left. going. He finally beat the Elite Four. Good things are happening with Ash. Good things. Uh, fair enough. Clearly, I'm not a Pokemon guy, but uh, <laughs> made that clear, I guess. So what are you most excited for in terms of the future of gaming, both as a medium and as sort of a culture? You know, short term, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing our new systems kind of start to fully mature with the games they're offering. Mm-hmm. I don't own either system. I would like to at some point, but I also don't feel like a super need to go out and get one right now. Just because yeah, we don't have, here. yeah, we don't have those 
next-gen titles that are like, yep, that's the system seller. Like, honestly, Halo Infinite probably would have been it for me for Xbox, but since that got delayed, right. I'm not in a rush for that. I, I love PlayStation franchises, but until I see the God of Wars and Horizons start to come out, then I, I'm also not in a huge rush for that. Nintendo-wise, I mean, kind of piggybacking Pokemon, I am so psyched for Pokemon Legends. Oh, like an open-world Pokemon game. Are you kidding me? We've been asking. Are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, broader strokes. I've always been intrigued by virtual reality, but I feel like th- th- there's just... The comfort thing is is going to be the biggest hurdle to climb. You know, I've I've right. fooled around with the Oculus Quest two, which I do think is an is a pretty cool thing. I think price wise, we're finally seeing these headsets come down to be more accessible to people. But like, I can't play more than maybe an hour tops on yeah. VR, yeah. and that's pushing it depending on the game. You need full and, immersion in order to right. not feel sick, and it's just execution of that is we're just not there yet. Exactly. And, you know, I my head gets too warm. I don't think they figured out the sweet spot for the weight yet. So there's a lot for them to figure yeah. out. But, like, I'm excited about the potential of that. And, you know, not necessarily gaming really, but I, I love, like, sword art, right? So, like, the idea that maybe without getting trapped in a VR world, but maybe eventually getting to that point of, like, being totally immersed in that a VR world sounds super amazing to me. Oh, yeah. So that that would is what I'm I'm hoping we start to get figured out here over the next couple years. And and culturally, you know, I I just hope people continue to realize gaming as like a a maturing storytelling platform that can promote important discussions as well as just entertain. You know, I always look back to like a game like The Last of Us as like an example of like, hey, a game can tell a story that's every bit as emotional, as thrilling, and as exciting as any movie or book now. And I just, yeah. I, you, I just want more people to fully embrace that, to fully look at this as as works of art instead of childish diversions. Right, and there's a spectrum there, right? Cause, you know, Last of Us, I couldn't agree more. Like. I've watched entire YouTube videos about like they wrote a script for The Last of Us that includes the gaming elements, you know, and that the character is controlled by the player. But it's still it's a script. It's a movie script. It, and there's a spectrum across the industry where there are games like that. There are games like Uncharted that I think are very similar. And then there are there are still those childish. I mean, you could I mean, Candy Crush is a game, right? So there's there's a spectrum. But I do think it's important. I agree with you completely that people need to realize that that spectrum exists and is very wide. And at that, at one end, there are these really, really artistically beautiful things being made. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, and even if you look at things like movies, right, you have the, the child, the kids movies that, that are purely aimed at like a certain age. And if right. you're not in that age group, you're going to be like, okay. <laughs> so like game games are no different. I just, I just want people to hopefully embrace that and see the power of gaming yeah, and I think I think we're definitely even starting to scratch that surface when you look at just how big the gaming industry has become both, I mean, obviously monetarily, but just the amount of reach. You look at statistics where they're showing how many people now own a gaming console and have played some of these massive gaming experiences. So I think we're starting to get there and it's it's really exciting as people who are passionate about games. And it's even breaching things like the medical field with like helping people strengthen their brain and things like that. So we right. go gaming. So, <laughs> way to go 
kind of taken a step back from gaming a little bit, and this is definitely like super broad in general, but what's the coolest part about living and working in Las Vegas? <laughs> oh my goodness. We get a lot of conventions that we get to go to and cover. And like that, that to me is so much fun. I, I've gotten to see things that I never really would have been able to get into. So that's cool. There's always a lot going on. Like Vegas seems like one of those cities that has its hand in a lot of different things. And so you always feel like there's something to discover. And so like there's never a lack of things to do or things to see and things to find out about. So I love that. I love that the city lives and breathes like all day, every day. And yeah, it's there's just a ton of excitement. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to Vegas, never been there. I have a feeling, and you can confirm or deny this, that I think when everyone thinks Vegas, what do they think of? That's true. Gambling. And I think, granted, I think they've they've kind of parlayed that into like, oh, it's gambling, but it's fun. Like, you'll lose the mortgage, but you'll have a good time, you know? <laughs> but I, I do think it's unfortunate that that's, I think it's probably so much more than that. And, and in addition to that, I think a lot of people also think it's the hottest place on earth. I'm sure it's so much more than that, but I can, yeah, it, it's super cool to hear. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on and I can imagine for someone who's a gaming journalist, like you said, there's a lot of conventions. There's a lot of things. I've actually uh, heard the food is one of the best things apart about Vegas. Oh my goodness. Yeah. If, if you guys come out to Vegas, which all th- everybody should, I'd love to treat you guys to dinner. If you guys head out here someday. Well, we the have food. it on record, folks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Be prepared to gain some weight because it's going to be so worth it. <laughs> okay, well, du- duly noted. Kind of like a, a quick one, B, because I also I saw on your social media, you have like the Golden Knights jerseys and everything. I'm a huge hockey fan. What was it like kind of being at the beginning of the start of such a great franchise? Yeah, you know, I always think that like... I might get myself into trouble here. No offense to the Raiders, but like I was the about Knights. To ask about the Raiders, yeah. But go, go on, <laughs> yeah. The Knights, I think, have that stronger connection because it's not a relocated team. Like this is our team right. mm-hmm. from the ground up, and also on on a, a sadder note, but like the one October shooting that happened out here, the Knights really bonded with this community after that shooting you know through the the donations and like they were there for this team they had just gotten started so that link was formed super early and then of course with the success that they've seen early on uh everybody loves a winner anyway so yeah it's cool because it's 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 our team we saw it get built you know this isn't some other city's team that they moved out here we can call it our own. And so like that, that's been really awesome to see. Yeah, I'm more of an NFL fan. The Raiders, in terms of earning Las Vegas fandom, have kind of a lot going against them, right? I mean, they, I have no issue with the Raiders. But like you said, they're a team that moved out there. They are in progress, too. That's like, I think that's probably the best thing you can say about them right now. You know, they have a lot of good building blocks, but they, they were party to some really just some wild losses in the past. I'm thinking of the Jets loss mainly. That was, <laughs> uh, or no, the Jets actually, did they beat the Jets? They beat, they beat the Jets on a ridiculous That's last right. second play. The Jets played like no defense. Yeah. It, it, go Raiders. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Raiders, I, w- I would go see a Raiders game if I could ever afford the tickets, which I'm sure right. that they're yeah. astronomically high. But, you know, I-, I feel like if you're a fan of a different NFL team, you're not going to just suddenly switch to being a Raiders fan. Like, maybe they'll be your second favorite team, but, like, like most fans don't just randomly switch which yeah. team they root for. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, it's it is it's got to be very cool though to be a part of Las Vegas. Just suddenly getting multiple sports teams, you know, kind of establishing that thing culturally in town for them. That's got to be very cool to be a part of. What again? Switching gears, and in particular, asking this question for the young eight-year-old Legal Eighty Six who also wrote a family newsletter. What advice or recommendations would you give to a young journalist who's trying to break into the industry? And this can be gaming specific. It can be not gaming specific. It can be, you know, much broader than that. You know, I would say find as many opportunities as you can to get your writing published. And don't be afraid of critiques. My first article at my college newspaper never ran. It was like bleeding red ink. <laughs> like I, <laughs> right. I, yeah. I just looked at it and like my my heart just sunk. I was like, oh. <laughs> like, but that kind of like brutally honest feedback made me a much better journalist. And, you know, I heard somebody say, if somebody stops correcting you, it's because they've given up on you. So like that that kind of honest feedback is important. And take it to heart, but don't take it personally. Like, learn from it. And, you know, thinking back to, like, when I was writing for the the Green Bay Press-Gazette, a lot of local newspapers across the country have opportunities, if you'll just ask. Pitch them on a story and, and just start practicing. And always, you know, try and keep in contact with mentors and whatnot. And I think you'd be surprised. It's, it's, it's easier than it seems to start building your portfolio. And that is the most important thing. I'm not saying, you know, obviously go to school and, and learn learn the, the basics and stuff, but your portfolio is going to be your lifeline in this industry. Duly noted. I'll, I'll pass that along to eight-year-old Legal 86, see what, <laughs> see what comes back. But I appreciate that. So this is the final question, and it's something we've been asking all of our guests on the show. If you were a real-life superhero, what power would you have? Oh, boy. Ah, I go down a rabbit hole with this one because I always like start like doing this pros and cons and now and then like a half an hour later I'm like, why did I spend this much time? <laughs> <laughs> I would love it's it's okay. This is the hardest I, I feel like every interview we have, this is the hardest hitting question and everyone we interview is like, Oh gosh. <laughs> there are so many possibilities. Because there okay. are right? I feel like like super strength would be super really practical because like I'm not like a, a weightlifter or anything like that. <laughs> so sometimes I'm like, it would be really nice if I could like lift something and not be like, am I going to throw out my back? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. So from like a mundane day-to-day task, like super strength would be really useful for me. Right. You, you, you get all the groceries into your house in one trip. Right? I mean, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that's everyone's like, goal. <laughs> it's, that's, that's a priceless power, I feel like. Yeah. Very cool. Well, super strength. We'll mark you down for super strength. We should really like publish like everyone we've had on the show. What's their power and create a, an Avengers? Because I think that is really the goal of this question. At least it was the initial goal of this question. So there you go. I, I feel like I might be the lame Avenger though. I'm just the one carrying the groceries in for the rest of the group. Hey, hey, everyone needs to eat. You know, right? I thought from a journalistic standpoint, you were going to say to read people's minds. That's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you don't want to know. Thought that would be cool, but I think there's a joy in discovering and like finding out when somebody opens up to you and finding out like what makes them tick. Like I, I like that part of the job of, of not knowing and then them trusting you enough to share that with you. Right. You could even so not not necessarily about the destination, but about the journey in a sense. Right. 
That's a man. I, you know, I also feel like this question always leaves us with a nugget of wisdom, and uh, this was no exception. So, <laughs> thank you, Lucas. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for answering all of our questions. Uh, we really appreciate having you here. Everyone should go check out the Land Parties podcast and also check out Lucas's work in the Las Vegas Review Journal. So, thanks again, Lucas. Thank you for having me anytime. <laughs> we are going to take a quick break now, and we will be right back to continue the show. Okay, we are back. We want to thank Lucas Egan again for joining us, chatting with us for a while. We had a great time talking to him. You can check out his podcast as well. So thanks again to him. Now we're going to jump into some of our regular news topics for the week. Now, I'm going to start with the heavy one. We got we got three laid out in front of us here, two movie topics, one convention topic. I, I consider it heavy, and I think I think most of us do. It, it's objectively, I guess, not heavy news. Probably good news for some people. San Diego Comic-Con 2021 is set to return as an in-person event. Now, you may think, whoa, not time for that yet. It's going to be returning on Thanksgiving weekend 2021. They revealed this, that they're going to be doing an in-person show from November 26th through 28th, 2021, hoping that by the fall conditions, and I'm quoting here, conditions will permit larger public gatherings. It will be known as Comic-Con Special Edition, which will be the first in-person convention since Comic-Con 2019, since, of course, the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we should talk about this. I'm, I'm actually going to take a, a, a non-pandemic bent on this, because I know there's a, lot of, there's, a lot, there's a lot you could say about it happening on the heels of a pandemic as, as that making it a bad idea. But you know what else makes it a bad idea? The holiday? Thanksgiving weekend. It's a terrible time to do this. Right? It's like, I mean, yeah, again, setting aside the fact that you know, we just saw a huge surge around this time or starting around this time for the virus, considering the fact that people should be spending this weekend with their with their families or shopping on Black Friday and being a good American consumer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've been, always been the person, the kind of person who I, I take huge issue, even with the whole like, and they didn't do it this year, but companies, you know, basically bleeding into Thursday with their Black Friday sales. This is, I mean, it's the 26th Thanksgiving or is, is it 26th, 27th, 28th? Is that Friday through Sunday? I would assume it's Friday through Sunday, but still. I think it's considering... Friday through Sunday, but you'd have to travel there. Exactly. And the thing here for me is like, if you are a regular person, you're not contractually obligated to attend, you know, like if you want to go, that's great. But the people who I feel really bad for are your vendors, all of the people who make this happen, all of the logistical people behind the scenes, because San Diego Comic-Con is not a small undertaking. There is so much work that goes into planning and making sure that event goes off without a hitch. And then additionally, like all of the people, like all of your celebrities and the big names who go on panels, like, will they want to be there? Will there even be enough people? Because I got to be honest, like those people probably look forward to if they have families, you know, they work a lot and, you know, you want to spend the holiday with your family. It might be one of the few non-working weekends they have of the year, you know, they probably don't want to go to a Comic-Con as much as they love the fandom. I mean, a lot of the people who are on panels at these things and appear, like they love the fans, but... Do they love them enough to want to skip a holiday with their family? I just, I don't know. Right. I, I mean, I, I will say, you know, I'm not look. I'm I'm sure it's going to come around the Monday after Thanksgiving when we're recording. I'm going to realize that there was a whole Comic-Con that I'm going to have to like keep track of that weekend. <laughs> and I'm going to be annoyed. And like, that's obviously extremely minor compared to like what you're saying, like celebrities and people on panels having to 
sacrifice family time. I mean, you can draw some parallels, right? Assuming it's a one-time deal, which I certainly hope it will be. I mean, you look at football players, right? They play football games on Thanksgiving. There are certain teams that do that every single year. So there are people that make sacrifices. I'm thinking that this was strategic. I think they want to say that they're doing it big. But then this this allows them to say, yep, they're doing it, but it's going to limit how many people actually do it because of family commitments. And I think that's kind of smart, but why not just limit the headcount? Well, I think they also, so they were getting a lot of flack on the internet, on Twitter and social media for having it on Thanksgiving weekend. And I believe they actually came, the planning committee said like this was the only weekend we were able to get the convention center and all the, the permits and stuff that we needed. And this was the only time that it was free, which I find a little hard to believe. I'm not going to outright say they're lying, but like, like we just said on the heels of the pandemic, like I find that kind of hard to believe, but Hey, who knows? The other thing worth considering is, as as I said before, limiting headcount makes it more safe. There's other things. If, If the convention center wasn't available, why does it have to be at the convention center? I mean, you have the chargers, right? For example, they have a football stadium that has an open top. Could it be in the stadium? I was about to say it would be like right before winter, but... That's not really not that winter's not a right. thing in California. In LA, like, that's not really a that's not really an issue. It, they can have it outdoors, but also kind of enclosed, so that they can you know have security and things like that very easily. I think they should listen to me. The Chargers are in LA now, so I'll, right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's not in, they're not they're no longer in San Diego. I, it's, the convention center is in San Diego. I assume that's why it's called San Diego Comic Con. But there, but, like, there is a stadium somewhere they could employ. Uh, yeah, Qualcomm is probably still there. I don't know, but. I, what are they not tear it down probably not yeah I, I mean if you read this ign article that i have in front of me it's very clear that they and to be honest to be honest i think it's kind of nice that they're being very transparent about it their explanation is basically we need money desperately <laughs> like like I, i'll read this again a direct quote Uh, In addition to highlighting all the great elements that make Comic-Con such a popular event each year, the company is also hopeful to generate much-needed revenue not only for the organization, but also for local businesses and the community. I think you can forget about the local businesses and the community part. I think they're saying this is an organization. Granted, I don't really know what Comic-Con as an organization does besides host these events, but it sounds like they are desperate. Reportedly, it's a nonprofit organization, but David Glanzer, spokesperson for the organization, said, hopefully this event will shore up our financial reserves and mark a slow return to larger in-person gatherings in 2022. So to me, what that reads is, if we want to do it the regular way in 2022, we need to bring in some quiche. Let me tell you, there are many other ways to do that. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's that's narrow-minded of me to say. Well, I know they did the digital Comic-Con and that didn't I know work out, I felt like right? it didn't really work out. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of viewership, but partly that was kind of on them because they didn't really make it an event. Like I know when E3 rolls around, there's a schedule. I know exactly when to tune into stuff. It's not, there's nothing like overlapping. You know what I mean? And I feel like with the Comic-Con digital events it was just like oh well there's a ton of stuff happening at all times it really depends on what stream you want to watch and it was just so hard to keep track of everything and like i get that's how they do it in real life like there's panels going on simultaneously all the time but if you're going to have a virtual event you can't really do that because you're just splitting your viewership at that point point. and right. i feel like they didn't do a great job with that and that's probably why they're scrambling now. But I mean... When was the digital event last year? Do you remember? Because I don't... I don't it? remember offhand. I remember I tried to keep track of it 
the first few hours and then it just got too much because it wasn't organized very well. And then well, I just it, caught like recaps at the end. What I'm what I'm wondering too is was that in the relatively early stages of pandemic such that look as a culture as a society we've adapted to pandemic lifestyles in various ways you know in the past year i would think society and the and the potential viewership of of a remote comic-con would be more prepared for the challenges and you know the comic-con organizers themselves would be more prepared to put on a more cohesive event and have more of a cohesive viewership because i agree with you like thinking about what you just said and the comparison to E3, which I think is a, is an apt one. If Comic-Con was done like E3 is, where they scheduled panels, perhaps not as concurrently, I don't wonder if that would be a more successful way to do that. I, I know for a fact that if that was a thing, I would watch pretty diligently, perhaps even more so than E3. And I watch a lot of E3 content every year. And that generates revenue for them through, you know, the usual video revenue sources that you have. So I wonder aloud why that doesn't happen i think you've i think you've just touched on an important i don't know maybe debate is what you would call it why doesn't that happen and like i'm not even mad that they're having an in-person event because at some point like somebody has to be the first to do it you know what i mean we see pax has gotten canceled we've seen other uh, i'm trying to think of the other conventions but there have been like a slew of different conventions that have gotten canceled i think e3 didn't they say that they were going digital again and it's just like i get it you know someone has to be the first to do it but just why make it on a holiday and yeah like because we don't know i mean november is so far away we have no idea what november is going to look like at this point and like worst case scenario you pull the trigger at the end and you say hey you know we're gonna postpone whatever but just to plan it on a holiday just seems so so bad of an idea i think that not just with regards to conventions but at large there's going to be a lot of this game of chicken going on in terms of how and when things reopen i think you're going to see movie studios competing saying okay when you know do we push back bond again or do we say no this is it for sure and just kind of weather whatever pr storm or whatever financial storm we get as a result of that i mean you're seeing now we're not going to talk about it this week but black widow they just they i think they just announced it's going to be going on disney plus again mm-hmm. but it's also i think it's this one might have a concurrent theater release we're seeing Warner Brothers is saying next year they're not going to be doing the concurrent HBO Max theater releases. They're going to go fully back to theaters. So we're starting to see things dip back into quote unquote normal life. But I think you're going to see a lot of these things of especially direct competitors in the entertainment industry are going to be thinking, okay, do we have to be because of the timing of our big releases or whatever? Do we have to be the first ones to urge people back out of their houses? And yeah, this is just a taste of that. But we'll see. I'm sure on like, the you, plus I'm sure side, everyone's yeah. going to be wearing mask. <laughs> Get it? Because cosplay. Well, I see what you've done there. Yeah, I, I see what you've <laughs> done there. It's not going to help. And also, there's a lot of people that like just face paint or just like if it were me, I would just show up. You know, like what percent of, of Comic-Con attendees are cosplayers? Would you estimate? Because I actually have no sense of this. I feel like there's probably a stat out here. You guys guesstimate and discuss. I'm going to Google. This. I'm telling you at least one of the days when I go, because this is not an if, this is a when. It's a when. I will be in cosplay. What it is, I don't know yet. But it can be something very simple. Cosplay can be easy. You can wear a button-up and put a pillow under your shirt and say you're Peter Griffin. It can be very easy or it can be super elaborate. It's all about just having a little fun. I would guess. Yeah, okay. So I looked it up. The Times of San Diego says it's 12.5% potential. I was going to guess no more than 20%. So I feel relatively validated. In any case, I you know I'm sure 
SDCC has, like you said, there. Are, I'm sure there are contingencies if they pull the trigger to postpone. I'm sure they still have the option to, as long as this is going to happen, no matter what, you know, if an asteroid hits San Diego, God forbid, something like that. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see both as the entertainment industry comes out of its cave and as COVID potentially comes back out of its cave and starts wreaking havoc again, uh, how this changes. And I have a feeling we may be revisiting this. But for now, we'll stick a pin in this and move on to more fun stuff, because I think the other two topics are a lot more fun. Let's talk about the Suicide Squad. So the Suicide Squad came out with a trailer last late last week, I believe it was. Anyway, I think we had had maybe a short trailer before, like a behind the scenes first look kind of thing. But this was their first big trailer for this movie. And I actually, I, you know, I have some thoughts, but I'm going to turn it over to Tectic to start because Tectic's our, our DC guy. And I genuinely want to hear what he has to say first. So I'm excited about the random assortment of ragtag Suicide Squad characters that we're going to be introduced to. But the thing that I'm kind of most excited for that this trailer introduced us to that it didn't initially was the introduction of the villain. So I don't know if if you guys caught this, but sort of at the end of the trailer, you saw a giant starfish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, they made some kind of like, didn't they make some kind of like kaiju joke or something? Yeah. So yeah. that was the introduction of Starro the Conqueror, which is sort of a big Justice League bad guy and really huge planet conqueror villain. So it's going to have a big epic battle. There's going to be some exciting fighting scenes. And it's going to be comical because it's a giant starfish. Right. To tack onto your last point, I think the best thing this trailer did, I'm, I'm a, I'll admit, I'm a little confused about the evolution from Suicide Squad to the Suicide Squad. It looks like Viola Davis is still in it and she's still helming everything. There's Harley Quinn has crossed over between the last one and this one. I guess I didn't watch the original Suicide Squad. Just tell me, did the other, did all the other characters die or something? Is that how it ends? No, there are a few that also crossed over. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, I don't remember the actor's Joel, name. Joel Kinnaman, one of the guys also crossed over. Yeah, yeah. One of the white guys. I can't think of who it is, but I know who you're talking about. But I, my concern, I, I think the sense of humor is great. I have no issue with that. I think it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be very funny. I think John Cena is one of the funniest, most undervalued comedic actors around. Well, his character in itself is hilarious. It's the American patriot that is just blind patriotism, which ultimately ends up being a harmful thing. Right. Basically making fun of Captain America. I think that's going to be super funny. I think the interplay between him and Idris Elba is going to be amazing. My concern is the same concern that I leveled at DC time and time again. And it seems my fear is they're going to keep making the same darn mistakes. They're going to introduce too many characters at once and you're not going to end up knowing any of them. That is my like... I think you can get away with that because these aren't these are meant to be killed off characters, in my opinion. Um, and don't you be think surprised. Some of them are going to die. Oh yeah, these are, these are designed to be killed off characters. Whereas the Justice League, those are people that are being established to be around for the long haul, so to speak. So there, you have to establish a backstory. This you can say, "Hi, I'm Steve," and then kill off Steve. Right. I, they would have to commit to that. I mean. That's my go-to name. I don't know why. I mean, if you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, it is possible to introduce a bunch of characters in one movie 
and to have them be cohesive and have make it feel like you know all of them and have them be this funny comedic kind of group ragtag troop of, of of people and not coincidentally james gunn directed guardians of the galaxy and he's directing this movie so if anyone can do it it's probably him well i but, think it helps too you also like you said we have a few carryover characters and they're going to be part of the core team i think ultimately you're going to have a core team of five or six some of which are carried over and the rest are just kind of like background tertiary characters that come in for a few one-liners here or there you know like i feel like pete davidson we're gonna see him for like maybe a couple scenes and he's gonna get killed off in spectacular fashion make a couple one-liners and then be done you know what i mean like i feel like the background cast will be there for comedic relief and we're going to be following a key core of characters that said i am very happy and some people might disagree with me but one of the things that this trailer showed off was margot robbie again as harley quinn and you know after watching the original suicide squad i was just kind of like eh, i think she was one of the better parts of the original suicide squad movie and then watching birds of prey like i think she really does a good job with that character i think she really embodies the character makes it a very funny character takes a lot of the personality traits from the comics and the video games not so much dark but just like funny and i like that and with this you can guarantee another halloween filled with harley quinn's unfortunately yes yeah well, i, I want to get there with this so i do have one more question that hopefully Tecta can answer what the heck is the deal with polka dot man can you walk me through that at all what's his power basically manifesting matter why is he, he polka dot weapons man? his suit but if you can manifest matter your persona is polka dot man well they're always disc shaped matter i see interesting they didn't show it much in the trailer i just know that he's one of them and i want to understand is that that's the guy who was from dark knight right the kooky guy from dark knight uh, that's polka dot man right or is that a, is that a different hero well I'm, I'm not saying polka dot man was in dark knight i'm saying the actor I think the actor who plays Polka Dot Man is the crazy one of the crazy guys who helps the Joker from Dark Knight. Anyways, I, I look, I really would like for this to work. I'm going in with what I think is a healthy amount of skepticism because DC can't figure it out. Did you um, watch Birds of Prey? I did not. Birds of Prey was pretty good. And so is Shazam. And I think not... So Zack Snyder's Justice League, we talked about it last week, was surprisingly better than I expected it. Super long, but still better. But I think they're doing themselves a great service by pivoting away from his vision and kind of starting fresh because, yeah, there's a place for your dark superhero movies. And I know that's what they were going for. But I think time and place, and I think now people just want humor. People... Like they're going in direct competition with Marvel, whether they like it or not. So by going with this lighter, funnier tone, that's what people expect out of a superhero movie today. Yeah, it is right, wrong or indifferent. So I think this tonal shift into a funnier realm, which you've seen carried out now in Shazam, Birds of Prey, and now the new Suicide Squad movie, I think it's going to be pretty good because I liked both of those. I thought it was I thought they were good. So I agree with you. I think the tonal shift is a, is a good move. My counterpoint, and frankly, one that's just, I think maybe causing the, the bulk of my mental block is the last DC movie I saw, if I, if I remember correctly. No, I, well, Wonder Woman 1984 I saw, and that also wasn't good. The last DC movie I saw before that was Aquaman. And everyone loved Aquaman, except for me. I did not like Aquaman at all. And Aquaman, I think to its credit, did try to do that same tonal shift of like, 
we're going to be lighthearted. Uh, you know, Arthur Curry is this kind of like, he talks like this, but he's really funny, you know, like, and it didn't work for me. But I feel like there's dissonance there too, because I think in the writer's room, there was probably, I know the original Justice League movie, he was more comedic Aquaman, but in the original way he was pictured and imagined when he was introduced in Zack Snyder's Justice League, he was not funny at all. Like, I don't think he had many comedic lines in Zack Snyder's Justice League, period. So I wonder if that wasn't just some like writer's room disconnect for you. Potentially. I I don't know. I Again, it's just a bunch of mental blocks for me. I don't love how what they've done with Aquaman in general, because like Aquaman in the comics is like the most straight laced person on Earth. And they were like, no, forget about that. And that bothered me a little bit. But anyways, I'm telling you, go watch Shazam, go watch Birds of Prey, and then you'll feel a little bit better about this movie. I, I and I already feel decent about it. I'm just I'm not saying I'm saying I'm not going to run to the theater. I'm going to wait and see. You don't have to because it'll be on HBO Max for free. True enough. That is a, a pretty sizable boon for in terms of me watching this movie this movie comes out later this year august 6th so that's soon doesn't feel like soon but it is soon go watch the trailer if you haven't already let us know what you think of all these new characters what you think of the general vibe this trailer is putting out at ow86 at ow tactic at ow Nerdbomber, and our main show account at online warriors one happy to chat with you about this and all other things we're going to head to an ad break now, but before we do, we would love to shout out our Patreon producers, Mr. Ben Chackness, Mr. Stephen Keller. Thank you guys again for continuing to support the show at the highest levels of Patreon support, the night level. As a result of supporting us at the night level, Ben and Stephen get access to our monthly secret segment and vlog, of course, but also they get this producer shout out and they get input into our weekly game segment, which this week is going to be about Andrew Lloyd Webber, and I am hosting that. Look forward to that later. Thanks again to Stephen and Ben, and also thank you to anyone else who supports us on Patreon at the Squire level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog, or the Page level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment. If you want details on how to give back to the show, how to support us, keep doing what we're doing, you can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast for more of the details. Thanks again to Stephen and Ben, and we're going to take a short break now to shout out one of our sponsors. Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skincare needs. Find your favorite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more, all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Right now, The Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off your next purchase by using the code P-O-D, that's code P-O-D, for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod.list. Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. Okay, we're going to keep the train rolling here with some additional movie news and this one i'm particularly excited about i'm not sure i'm sure we have talked about this on the show before but the long-awaited and long discussed and rumored obi-wan kenobi television show coming soon to disney plus like soon i I use as a loose term because this has just been announced it's going to start shooting next month that's the month of april in 2021 and not only have they announced that in terms of timeline but they've also given us a cast list And of course, you know, the two headlines that you were expecting to see 
course, Ewan McGregor will be returning. And Hayden Christensen, who I have a particular affinity for, and I think a lot of prequel fans have a particular affinity for, will be returning. Of course, as Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. But we also have some other faces here. And, and you know, we can go through a number of them. I want to, I, I have we're going to talk about Kumail Nanjiani, and we should. But I want to zone in for a second on O'Shea Jackson Jr. Because I am a huge fan of his. And he was in a movie that I don't know if you guys saw. Unfortunately, I, thought of, I should have thought of the name of it before I started talking about this. This is the movie with Seth Rogen and Charlie Theron, where they're, she's a politician and he's like... Oh, and he loves her. And he loves her and, and he's a reporter. Gosh, what is the... I'm going to have to look it up right now. But long story short, O'Shea Jackson is in that movie and it is, he is very, very funny in that movie long shot long shot the, the movie is yeah he's super funny in that he kind of immediately endeared me to him and not that they're the same person but ice cube who of course i think is o'shea jackson's dad or uncle or something also an extremely funny actor undervalued much in the same way that i mentioned john cena being earlier so i would assume they're going to use o'shea jackson jr in some kind of comedic role and I'm very on board with that. But th- there's there's other familiar faces here. Some unfamiliar, but other familiar faces. Tactic, I want your read on the potential usage of Camille Nanjiani, who, by the way, I'm also a big fan of. So I didn't get super excited about the potential usage of Camille Nanjiani that much. The thing that I really focused on was Hayden Christensen. And I think that's the biggest deal of all of the cast, in my opinion. And the reason why is because... In the Star Wars films, we didn't get a lot of time to focus in on what it would have been like to see Anakin training his own person. And we've already seen Ahsoka Tano in The Mandalorian, and this will give us an opportunity to be introduced to her much, much younger under his guise. And I've said this before, her backstory is incredibly challenged and rich and really amazing in my opinion. And to see that in the live action role there's a lot of opportunity there for really good content. For sure, for sure. I mean, I, I, Hayden Christensen, what I hope for for him, as I kind of alluded to before, he's he's a meme in like Star Wars fan culture, I think. A lot of people just treat him like a meme. I think he can do it. Has he done anything else acting-wise like since Star Wars ended? I don't think so. Um, uh, he, he did, did a few things. He, he yeah, did he Jumper. Did, I jumper, jumper was what I was thinking of. I want him to excel because... As funny as it is watching some of his performances in the prequel trilogy, I think the reason that they're often funny is that they were really close to being really good, if that makes sense. Darth Vader, at his turning point, is an extremely difficult role to play. He had a very tough job, and you cannot watch what he did and say that he didn't give it his all. What his all turned out to be, some people didn't like and some people thought was funny. And the writing also did him no favors, by the way. But... I think he poured himself into it. And I'm looking forward to seeing him do that again. Like you said, tactic in a role of training someone is I, I assume. Yeah. What we're going to see, we should of course see some lightsaber battles between Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, or maybe not. I mean, it's murky, right? Because I think in episode four, you know, he basically said, Obi-Wan Kenobi basically says that was the last time I saw him, or it's implied that was the last time he saw him when they fought each other. Maybe they don't cross paths again. Maybe they, they never share scenes. I doubt that, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do here. One so, of the cast members yeah. that I was actually really excited about, and I don't know if you guys were big Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift fans, but that's like one of my guilty pleasure movies. Like I know it was the outlier and considered to be bad in comparison to the other Fast and Furious movies, but I really liked it. 
and Sung Kang is listed as one of the cast members of Obi-Wan. And I think that could be really good. It, he was he's a really good like action actor. I feel like is this Han? Is this the one that everyone's mad that he died and he didn't actually die? Or am I yeah, mixing it's Han. characters? Okay. Yeah. For a second, my mind went to Han Solo because we were talking about Star Wars and then I had to pivot to Fast and Furious and I was like, Han. I it mean, is Han, right? Did I get yeah, it right? No, you're right. I, I haven't seen Tokyo Drift. I've I've only seen like two Fast and Furious movies. It's like but... so good, but it's so bad. So Tokyo Drift like kind of doesn't tie into the other ones at all, which I think is it's why I liked drift, it. Bro. Yeah, people, so but good. people have been wondering who killed Han for like a billion years, and it turns out I think they were in the trailer for the next one. I think they revealed that he's not actually dead. Right? That was like a big. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I have never seen them, but I I trust you. I think I would like for this to be very actiony, and I think also getting guys like Joel Edgerton that lends uh, more to that that theory that it could be kind of actiony. I would maybe this is wrong, but Joel Edgerton to, strikes me as a villainous. That's a villain character. That's my my read. I don't know. I mean. Admittedly, I haven't seen many Joel Edgerton movies. But Not Rupert? Oh, Rupert is so villainous, in my opinion. R- Rupert does look pretty villainous. He was in Pride you, and Prejudice, by the way. You can kind of, like, kind of take this this grid of photos they released and try to, like, meta it out, right? Like, is it split down the middle of, like, the people on the left are good guys, people on the right are bad guys? But then Hayden Christensen's on the left with Obi-Wan. It's interesting. Now, I, I do want to circle back to Kumail, because... Kumail played an alien in Men in Black, whatever the late, last Men in Black was. Can't think, can't even think of what it was called. Men in Black International, which I did not see and I guess wasn't good. But that's what I see him doing here. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I see him again. I don't want to draw comparisons that are meme but that's a Jar Jar situation if ever I saw one. I think he's going to be playing a Jar Jar character. I think they might be setting out to like, let's do Jar Jar better. And like, again, try to undo the meme. I would love it if this show was just like, let's undo all the Star Wars memes. See, I don't know, though, because I can also see him being a more serious character and trying to pivot away from comedy a little bit. Because, I mean, obviously, Disney is working with him. He's in Marvel's The Eternals. And he's, I mean, the movie's not out yet. But from some of the interviews, it seems like it's going to be a little bit more of a serious role than his normal. Yeah. He's, he's got that little smirk. T- yeah, he's fixing to tell a joke in this photo. And look, and then now, like, by comparison, like, look at Ian McGregor's like, okay, I'm going to smile as little as possible. Hayden Christensen's like, what are you going to take a picture of me? Like, the only person who's outright smiling in any of these photos is O'Shea Jackson Jr. And I think he's going to be funny. And then, like, Kumail's given, like, that smirky kind of, again, maybe I'm digging It is really interesting because I feel like with stuff like this, every time there's a Star Wars or Marvel release, there's so much you can read into. And whether or not there are actually clues there is yet to be seen. But there are so many ways you can dissect this photo grid and pretty much any announcement that Disney makes in any of their franchises. I would think they would be thinking about that at this point, right? I mean, they're Disney, they're Star Wars. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm, I'm digging too deep here. It is exciting that it is going to be shooting next month, though. That, which means that we month. should be seeing this somewhat soon. I love, too, the diversity of this cast. I, you know, I, I think... And, and they, they've taken really strong steps with that, of course, with the new trilogy and even the Mandalorian. You know, I think Star Wars needs more... And it has a lot of strong female characters, but there can't be enough. And I'm just... I'm really happy about that. Really excited to see where this goes. And yeah, next month's shooting. Hopefully... Like, when I, when I think of this, you know what I want from this show? The speeder chase scene from episode two 
I want that to be the entire show. Just that's it. Um, and granted, which, is why, which is why you have someone from Fast and the Furious. He's going to be drifting. Okay, you know what? I would actually love it if like I want I want a character who's like a pod racer. Bring pod racing back. This show could be so many great things, and it's not going to be any of them. And I'm already mad about it. But like, imagine if there was a character who was like really good with speeders and not like not like an ace pilot because ace pilots have been done by star wars a hundred times i want someone who when they're on a planet can hop into a speeder or a pod racer and do crazy things i think that's a great character model basically you want a han solo of pod racers a little bit yeah and i think also considering see there's so many questions here like if obi-wan immediately hides out on Tatooine, which he, I guess we know he doesn't do that from like the Clone Wars and every, well, no, Clone Wars is in between two and three, but I don't know if he immediately hides out on Tatooine, but if he does, drastically raises the chances that there's going to be pot racing again. And super hyped about that. I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, I guess. But uh, we want to know what your thoughts are on this too. We've already dropped our handles in the episode, but the Obi-Wan Kenobi cast, what are your thoughts? Who are you excited about? Who do we not mention? Because there's, I think like seven or eight no seven names here that we didn't even mention frankly because i don't know i'm not as familiar with their work i think benny safty is one of the guys who directed uncut gems and he's just here which like interesting <laughs> so let us know what you think of the cast let us know what you think the show is going to be let us know what you want it to be and let's have a conversation right now we're going to head to what are you up to town and i'm going to start with nerd bomber this week ladies first what have you been up to all right so two things that I want to touch on. The first is that we watched Raya and the Last Dragon. And I know you're going to be questioning this legal because we do share a Disney Plus account, but we shared this with my sister. And it was really good. Oh, is that a premium? Yeah, it it was another one of those things when it was like $39 on top of your Disney Plus subscription, which I know in theory works out monetarily once you have like multiple people watching the movie, but whatever um pixar or sorry i'm asking a lot of questions uh it's not pixar it's disney okay and essentially the the plot is that once upon a time there was a unified land and then a big evil thing starts turning people to stone and dragons sacrifice themselves to banish the evil thing and save the human race but then they leave behind one dragon gem that is like the last remnant of their power and then in typical human fashion humans are greedy and they end up splitting into different factions who kind of like not necessarily war with each other but are just split into different factions and not living in unity and something happens to the gem and the bad things come back and Raya was raised to be one of the guardians of this dragon gem. And so she goes on a quest to find the rumored last dragon and try to restore balance to the world, get rid of the bad things that are turning people to stone again and save the world. And I really enjoyed this movie a lot. I really liked the fact, and maybe this is like a weird woman thing, woman comments but i really like the fact there was not a romance in this movie it was literally just a journey of like self-discovery finding people who are different and coming together to learn about teamwork and unity and just having like crazy magical humor and stuff like that and a small cameo by betty white that made me chuckle but like there was no romance it was kind of in the vein of frozen where that wasn't a focus of this movie and it was better for it 
like it, it had Mulan feels almost this movie. And I know they were both like Asian backgrounds, but it really felt more about, you know, this female character being a badass and saving the world. And I really liked it. And it was funny. I thought the animation was incredible. I really liked the animation style. I really liked the general overline story and the theme of the movie. I, I don't think it hit me as hard as like something like Soul from like an emotional standpoint. This one didn't like resonate. But in terms of like just a fun movie to watch, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. Duly noted. I mean, I, I'm not sure I'm going to be paying $39 for it, but... I think it um, goes free for everybody who is a Disney Plus subscriber in like June or July, I want to say. Great movie watching time. Tactic, did you, before I move on to my other thing, did you have any comments on the movie? My one comment on the movie is every dragon has a special power. And when you figure out what the dragon's power is, you're going to be sorely disappointed. It is kind of a lame power. <laughs> wow. You're really hyping it for me. Uh, okay, go, go on, Nerd Bomber. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to touch on is that we started playing Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. And this is something we were playing co-op. And because we finished, you know, Sackboy, A Big Adventure, we did pre-order It Takes Two, but it hadn't gotten here yet. So we started playing Hyrule Warriors. And I will say this is my second foray into the world of Zelda. I think this one's a little bit more palatable to me than Breath of the Wild, just because Breath of the Wild was very open worldy and I felt like I was a little aimless. Like it doesn't really give you missions or at least the two hours that I played, I do have to like revisit it and give it a good solid chance. But the couple hours that I played of Breath of the Wild, I felt like I was kind of aimless and my weapons kept breaking and I got frustrated. So I stopped. This was obviously a very different style game. It's not like a mainline Zelda game. It's kind of like a prequel to Breath of the Wild. And I will say it's pretty fun. It's pretty button mashy, lots of action, but that, that's the kind of stuff I like. <laughs> My only qualm was that I was kind of disappointed, and I don't know if this only happens when you're playing split-screen co-op like we did, but there were a lot of really egregious frame rate drops that mm. really bogged down the play where everything would just kind of like stutter stop. And like, it didn't make you die or anything like that. It wasn't that bad, but it was just kind of annoying, especially when you consider that this is literally a first party Switch exclusive title. So you would well, think that in, they would hammer that technical aspect out a little bit better. And in button mashy games, that can, in my experience, kind of ruin your flow, can it not? Yeah, it, it like it didn't completely ruin the gameplay at all. It doesn't it's kill just you, like, like, like a, you said. But... It's like a jarring moment though, because like you're feeling it and then... All of a sudden, right. it's just like stutter. And you're like, oh. <laughs> right, right. And like some of the characters are definitely better than others. I will say I am a big fan of Link in this game. I know Tactic has his own favorites that he likes mm -hmm. to play. But yeah, so that that's kind of what we've been playing lately. Just good old-fashioned co-op. Plus love, you have love, to be Love couch co-op. Yeah, that's true. In a lot of missions, you the first player has to be Link. So I don't really have a choice, but it's fine. I'm good with it you sound like you're still working on being good with it but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give you time to do that tactic over to you What's so my deal, biggest man? thing is i started reading a book called altered carbon super interesting it's a netflix show I, yeah i know but i don't want to watch it i don't like to watch things until after i read it Fair. um there's something to be said to that in my opinion agreed it's a super interesting premise and basically your body's don't really mean anything anymore. Uh, if you could pay for it, you you continuously have your conscious 
updated so that if someone knocks you off or or even if you kill yourself, they'll just upload you into a new, so to speak, skin. So it's a neat premise. Everyone, the rich are basically immortal, as well as the, I guess, non-religious are, are basically immortal because they've touched on that. I'm fairly early right. into the book, but super interesting. We've talked about uploading consciousness before. I was going to um, say, that's one of your things. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's the key to space travel, in my opinion. But yeah, so I'm really excited to, to delve more into it. If anyone else has read it and has any reason to tell me to stop right now, please. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Someone warn him if, if you need to, I guess. Yeah. That was an interesting way to stick a pin in that review. I'll be, I'll be circling back to you to hear more about that in future episodes. I am also going to shout out a couple of books. So I finished Later, which is a Steve, the Stephen King book that I read. I've mentioned having started a, a week ago or two weeks ago. That was a quick read for me. It's a, one of his shorter books. I was a big fan of it. It's, it's a, it was a little bit on the generic side, simply in that it's, it's very similar to like The Sixth Sense. Someone can converse with dead people is kind of the main thrust of the premise. But it had some really interesting twists at the end. I think you could tell that he was having a lot of fun with it, a lot of fun with the format, which again was these kind of smaller pulp pulpy crime books so that was really cool i've read a drink before the war which was dennis lehane's first book if you don't know who dennis lehane is he did shutter island and there's a mystic river he's done a bunch of books that have been made into movies i did not like that i don't think the detective genre is necessarily for me because it was like this hard boston detective who's like not a very good person and it made him hard to hard to root for as a character, and he was the main character. So I don't want to dwell on that. Right now, what I'm reading actually is a book that Technic and Nerdbomber might remember. I think maybe just Nerdbomber. Nerdbomber, we read an excerpt from this book in college, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Are you familiar? Oh, you yeah. This? I like Malcolm Gladwell a lot. I was in the mood for nonfiction, so I picked it up and started it. I had it on my shelf and... I think I bought it at like a used book sale a long time ago and just never got around to reading it. So far, it's fascinating, but I'm not very far in, so I'll report back on that next week. The only other update I have, and again, we'll, we'll I'll keep this short because we'll have to talk about this in full next week or another week. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, are you guys watching? No, actually, we watched another show that I do want to touch on that I totally forgot, but go ahead. With Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's too early to tell. I think the first episode was crap. The second episode was better. And that bad? We'll see if that, the first episode was pretty bad. I thought the first episode was pretty bad. Uh, the second one was definitely better, and I'm just waiting. We're kind of waiting now to see if that trajectory continues upwards. Because the first episode, not like we're not going to keep watching territory, but we were like, man, this better get better. And luckily it did in episode two. So there's only six episodes. It's like a mini series here and there's only six episodes, right? Uh, I actually didn't know how many there were. It sounds right. Jeez, they be- it better get better fast. <laughs> I think it is. It's heading in the right direction. The f- it just it was kind of plagued by expositional issues, I think, in the first episode. There mm-hmm. was very little action and a lot of subplots that I did not care about being started off that I assume are going to merge in a more satisfying way, but we'll see. I did see a screenshot of upified Captain America that I'm really curious because it was like no context screenshot. And now I really kind of want to see where that comes in. The new I have Captain a feeling America, where that's going. The new Captain America thing is pretty wild. I will say we should we'll talk about it some other time because a lot of people probably haven't watched much of it yet. And you guys haven't watched much of it yet. I don't want to drop anything spoilery. So I'll stick a pin in it for now. You can shout out your show before we move on to the quiz. But yeah, that's that's all I'll say about it for now. We did watch Invincible, which is the new Robert Kirkman show. It's an animated show, so illegal, you may not like yes. this. 
but it's on Amazon Prime. And the first three episodes just dropped this Friday. And essentially, the premise is that the main character who is in high school, his father is essentially the equivalent of Superman. So like an alien who comes down to Earth. And oh, right. Yeah, it's so good. I've seen, so I've good. seen you need to check it out. This is I don't want to and J. Jonah Jameson. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's so it's very good. Like, I don't want to really say too much about it because I feel like there's spoilers abound even within the first three episodes. And like, you kind of want to go in if you haven't read the comic, not knowing anything because it, there's like twisty turnies all over the place and it's super good. Basically, y'all know me. You know, I love gory cartoon superhero stuff. That's why I'm always telling you guys to watch the, the animated Batman movies. If you like those, check this out. It's right up your alley. You won't be disappointed. Yeah, I'm not typically an animated guy, as you clearly know, but I thought about that. Yeah, no, I know. I You're not say. cultured. I mean, J.K. Simmons is in it. Yeah, that's. I said J. Jonah Jameson. I meant J.K. Simmons, but people probably knew what I meant. <laughs> Everybody looks exactly like J. Jonah Jameson oh, yeah. in the show. Well, I mean, yeah. his his silky voice alone, I feel like you should just watch it for that. I wouldn't call it silky. I mean... Give it two episodes, and then if, if, if you don't watch it beyond that, that's fine, but give it two episodes. Imagine J. Jonah Jameson saying get me more pictures of spider-man and calling that silky i'm still back on, i'm still back on that <laughs> well it's, it's like a, it's like a deep kind of smooth voice let's agree or disagree on that <laughs> um and let's move on to the quiz because i'm hosting this week i'm very excited about it my first hosting in a while because i had been on a bit of a losing streak but we have a topic here that look when i was in high school i was in musicals i wasn't in any andrew lloyd webbers but i was in musicals so our topic this week from patreon andrew lloyd weber and this guy was a big deal. I, I, I have one, two, three, four, five, six questions here with one bonus. Most of them are basically about how awesome he is. And they're all Price is Right style. So strap in. Nerd Bomber, you will go first because ladies first. I just arbitrarily decided that. We're going to start off pretty, pretty perfunctory here. How old is Andrew Lloyd Webber? Look, you know who he is. You know he's done things. You have no idea how old he is. I feel like he's got to be pretty old. I'm going to say he's like 75. <sighs> Big bust. I know it's older than this, but I'm just going to say safe and go 50. Tiny, tiny bust. He turned 73 on March 22nd. That's a Darn big it. bust. Uh, I was so me, that close. Is, that is not a that's not a, not a big bust. So tactics on the board. We're going to get into his career, but I also want to mention, because I thought this was cool. When people get knighted, that's cool to me. Andrew Lloyd Webber was knighted. When? What year? Think about the trajectory of his career. Think about how old he is. When was this dude knighted? When did the queen do the scepter thing on his shoulders? Tactic, you're up first this time. Just looking for a year here, not an 1997. Year. I'm going to say younger than that. I'm going to say 1970. Okay. Uh, Tactic, you busted. Was it a little bust? It was a little bust. 1992 is when he was knighted. So that means we're knotted up. One to one here. Four questions to go plus a tiebreaker. Now we'll get into his career. How many musicals has Andrew Lloyd Webber composed the music for? I feel like this is a fair amount. I'm going to say 15. I can only think of like a few that are oh, big off the that. top of my head, but like, I feel like it's 15. It's way more than that. 16. Oh, you butt. Tactic, you are a butt. It was more. It was not way more. 21. And that's still too many to list them out. So I'm not going to. You know the big ones. Uh, we'll get to one of his big ones later. 21. So Tactic by the butt strategy, inches ahead. Given that he has composed 21 musicals, many of them quite successful, in 2019, he was uh, estimated to be the wealthiest Brit. 
just flat out. I think probably like British citizens probably doesn't include like royalty. But with that in mind, what is his net worth as of 2019 as of an estimate in that year? And I'm looking for an answer in pounds. So you have to do. Oh, shoot. <laughs> dollars to pounds conversion if you want to, if you care that deeply. Five million pounds. Okay. Six million pounds. I know it's this way more than that. This so. is the wealthiest Brit tactic. <laughs> did you did you hear when I said the wealthiest? 820 million pounds. Yeah, but I don't know the conversion. <laughs> Okay, well, it's 820 million pounds. I think it's like a pound is close to a dollar, I think. Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah. It's not like more than, t- it's not like two. I think it's like one pound. I'm not something. as global as you might think I am. Evidently. Okay, so Andrew Lloyd Webber is one of few people to have what is known as an EGOT, which is an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. How many people, including him, have accomplished this? I'm going to say, I feel like it's going to be a small exclusive club of maybe like five people. I think it's more than that. I swear. <laughs> so I'm going to go six. Oh. Okay. Um, We're in a fight. Once again, once again, tactic succeeds with the butt strategies. Uh, 16, actually, which is more we than I would We are in a fight. Well. Uh, yeah, nothing's it, new there. Are you guys tied or is tactic ahead no, by I'm one? I'm up by one. He's up by one going into the last uh, standard question here. Um, this is about, we're going to get specific Why would you do now. an even number of questions? Because I have a tiebreaker. Can you relax? Okay. This is actually the long, the longest running musical on Broadway is the Phantom of the Opera, which made its debut on January 26th, 1988 at the Majestic Theater. Love it. And became the first musical ever to celebrate its 10,000th performance on February 11th, 2012. So the question is, how much has this grossed to date? And this is in dollars, so no conversions necessary. I will tell you, this is the third highest grossing Broadway musical of all time. I don't know why that would help you, but I'm looking for a total gross for Phantom of the Opera. I'm going to go $600 million. $601 million. She's done it, ladies and gents. $1.2 billion is the answer. Specifically, $1.238 billion. Um, So we've established a tie, have we not? We have. Yes, we have. Which is great because... But you know what? He's just going to one-up me then in the next one. So, or you could bust. My... Well, here's what we're going to do because you guys are being children at this point. My bonus question is, how many Emmys and Grammys combined has Andrew Lloyd Webber won? Uh, you are going to text me your answers. Oh boy, I like this. That way, no, there's no funny business. So each of you individually will text me your answers. This is for all the marbles... All the cash in the in the cash box. And also, if both of you bust, I have a bonus bonus. A backup bust? Okay, you're not going to believe this. So you both have submitted answers. Nerd Bomber says six. Tactic says seven. Oh, come did you on. Look? Did, you, did you look at her, at her, at her, at her phone? Uh, Tactic takes it. I'm sad to say. Uh, he Four Grammys and six Tonys, so ten total. Tactic by way of just being a just total jerk <laughs> wins this one. No, because that one was totally blind. That one was not a jerk, and she was equally a jerk. I feel like he is in my head, and so he knew what I was texting you, and just like I honestly thought you put the same number as me. <sighs> that would have been interesting too if you guys had like exactly tied. But again, I had a contingency for that as well. I was going to ask you the individual how many Grammys, how many Tonys. In any case, uh, congratulations to Tactic. Pulling out the win there. It brings him to three and three on the year. I am at four and two. Nerd Bomber at four and one. Queen of the Castle. No, sorry, four and two now. So Nerd Bomber and I are tied for Queen of the Castle. 
tactic right in there. I mean, this is very close. Uh, heading into April, essentially, we're basically neck and neck. So stay tuned to see who becomes the 2021 quiz champion. And uh, stay tuned for more great nerd content. Uh, we had some great news today. We had, of course, our interview earlier with Lucas Egan. We thank him again. And uh, we thank you all for showing up and listening with us. Tell your friends, tell your wife, tell your husband, tell your grandma, and tell them to also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. But also, I mean, primarily tell them to listen, but the Apple Podcast thing is secondary. But uh, thank you all so much. This is Illegal86 for Tactic and Nerd Bomber telling you to have a great week.